The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Friday. Gary, good morning. How are you? I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> too much going on oh man oh man oh man what a day huh yeah big day a lot of uh interesting decisions uh one decision coming down from the supreme court you mean the the maga court yeah the maga court the, schumer calls it you know, the maga court uh, nine nothing decision you notice how they're back to that the maga republicans the maga court uh this you know this uh the MAGA House of Rep- MAGA controlled House of Representatives heard that the other day. Yeah, uh, Supreme Court interesting decision. Uh, part of their decision was was unanimous, nine nothing uh, for the plaintiffs, and it has to do with WOTUS, the waters of the United States. What's interesting is that on defining a waterway, it was split. It was five yeah. four. Right. And so when you look at what they looked at is this um, landowner had built near these these uh, this these waters and the these wetlands and they were being fined forty thousand dollars a day until they returned the land to the wetlands condition. They had to go back and undo it, according to the EPA. And so they took their case to court. That part of the decision, Scott has said, no, you don't get to do that. So they went back and uh, they uh, on that, it was 9 nothing unanimous. But here's here's what I took from that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but my, my first indication of it from my, you know, uh, <laughs> initial reading was what they all said was the, I think it was the Sackets. Right? Yeah. <laughs> reminded me of that, of the... Uh, Western series in the seventies, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but they all sided with the Sackets, saying this mm-hmm. is wrong what they're doing. Yeah. Now, when it came to uh, you know what you know what the authority should be, they differed. But that just showed me well. Then that needs to go to Congress. But the fact that they all yeah. agreed 
that currently what they were doing in the Sackett's case was wrong, which then to me screams for, okay, Congress needs to be more specific on any type of regulation like this. Right. Well, and on top of, you know, and I think part of it, too, going after them, you know, with the $40,000 a day, uh, mm-hmm. telling them to return the land to its original condition and that kind of thing. Uh, I think the, the court saw it as, as overreach. But, yeah, I do agree. I think that, you know, eventually it's going to be like with a lot of administrative regulation. There has been a calling to fix this. There was during the Trump years. This wellness thing started during the Obama administration. Uh, it started ramping up uh, during the Obama administration. I have a, a longtime friend who was affected by it. Uh, they uh, eventually, when Trump came into office, the Army Corps of Engineers came back in and fixed his problem retroactively and said, no, the regulation is no longer in effect. And so they were able to, you know, uh, he was going to, again, he was looking at massive fines for not returning that land back to what it was and it wasn't wetlands it was a it was a different thing that uh that uh, pertained to, to wotus and here's really the idea and this is why the 5-4 split is interesting on defining a waterway if you have a culvert that is mostly dry a culvert is defined by two areas uh of land that are high and then one land in the center one one area of land in the center that is lower it's a ditch or any low area that would essentially facilitate water flowing off of your property if it rains. Well, the EPA came in and said, nope, we get to control that, even if water isn't there 99% of the time. Well, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. Now, states have come in and said, uh, we're going to control what you can put on that land if you're going to treat it with, you know, uh, pesticides and herbicides and everything else. We're going to come in and we're going to control what you can, you know, uh, how that water is managed or how that land is managed. It will be interesting to see if Congress decides to take this up. Because essentially it is a land grab. If the federal government can come in and say, we control your land because you have a low spot in your land. Well, what about the areas that have, like my house sits on top of my property and it slopes. All the water runs off and runs down the street. Uh, not off, not all the water, but I mean, water does run off of my property and runs down the street. That's the case for I don't know how many homes in America. Well, my my backyard is slants down towards the pond. Yeah. The pond eventually goes to an Army Corps of Engineer Lake mm-hmm. at that point. How much control does the federal government have over my property? Yeah, that's, and, that's and, it. They, and, they, and what I do with the water that comes uh, you know, out of it. Now, let's put it this way. If water splashes out of my pool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it's serious. I mean, it's it's not like. It's it's not like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Well, it's the federal government that's being ridiculous. But I think the other thing that needs to be talked about here, it's not just the federal government. It's a way that the administrative state, and it's across the board. Uh, I saw, who was it? Um, I forget if it was Jim Jordan or whatever. Yeah, or No, it was Comer. 
talking about how you know the 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 FBI won't give them what they need. And when you look across the board, this is and, and it's the same thing. We we can go with the Supreme Court. That's the MAGA Supreme Court. It was a nine nothing decision. They may have disagreed on what the authority of the EPA is and what the solution should be, but that's up to Congress. Right. And and so what you have here is on. Look at how many how many things you know when you look at what happened with uh, uh, with uh, with uh, with COVID yeah. and and the the rules that you know that were not congressionally approved whether it was the the eviction uh, the uh, uh, eviction mandate yes the yeah, eviction, eviction moratorium the, the eviction moratorium mandate uh, the uh, you know the the uh, the vaccine mandate all these things none of this came from Congress. And, you know, when I saw, I think it was Jim Jordan talking about the FBI not giving them, you know, for example, the unclassified material that they have. It says, you know, we have oversight. We're the elected representatives of the people. Mm -hmm. And across the board, what you see from Democrats, for the most part, I'm not saying it never happens from Republicans. But if you look at almost every issue that we're dealing with, the majority of issues we're dealing with right now, so many of them are the Democrats saying, well, we want the bureaucrats to make the decision. Yeah. We don't want Congress to do it on the on the <laughs> on on the uh, the the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes across the board on the debt ceiling. Yeah. The you know, Democrats in in the Senate. Well, we've been home for, uh, you know, we, we've been home for a while. We're not even worrying about it when the process is supposed to be. The Republicans are supposed to come up. With their plan, the Democrats can come up with their plan. They go to conference. But we've gotten to the point where the executive branch that doesn't make law is doing the negotiations. The president is doing the negotiation for the Democrat Senate. And then the Democrats go, well, we don't even want to be about if this it just doesn't work out. If the executive branch that isn't supposed to be making law is negotiating with the House and that doesn't work out. Well, we, the Democrats in the Senate, say, well, then go to the 14th Amendment and interpret it any way you want. So the executive branch that doesn't have the authority to do this will do it. And across the board, whether yeah. it's the 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 mega nine zero ruling, <laughs> yeah, uh, or the 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 debt ceiling, or what's going on in the FBI, or what happened during COVID, so much of it is the Democrats wanting. The bureaucrats, the administrative state to actually control and make new law. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing that got me yesterday. I'm like, man, it's across the board. So it's, you know, basically what the court was saying on WOTUS was you can't go this far as you did in this case. But we're split on how far you can go. Right. Which that means it's got to go to Capitol Hill. Got to go to Capitol Hill. Right. Exactly. That that's where that's that is what is supposed to solve the uh, the the problem. And then if the Congress goes too far, then the uh, on for example on property rights, that's where the Supreme Court would come in, yeah. or the, the federal courts uh, would uh, would come in at that moment, as they as they actually did here. All right, you ready for this audio cut? What do you got? I want to play this because right. this is you know we we talk we talk about the debt ceiling, and this is you want a perfect example of what we have stated. What's going on here? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and this is where it's a, the you see everywhere the debt ceiling talks going to a critical stage, and then Biden heads off for the weekend. Yeah, I'm heading off for the weekend. 
And I saw the, the one story that said Democratic leader furious that Biden is just heading out of town. And then there was we talked about it yesterday. Democrats saying the president needs to be talking about this. McCarthy's there every single day talking about it. And because McCarthy is talking about it every day and the president isn't there, the Republicans sound reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite from mm. yesterday's show. And we said, well, look what's going on here. The media is going crazy too. the liberal media because McCarthy's out there every day. You see the polling, the polling on the actual uh, debt ceiling and what we should do. The majority of Americans side with the Republicans right now. And Biden isn't talking about it. Well, this is from MSNBC, Biden Communications Director Ben LeBolt on there. Just listen to the pushback that he is getting. He's like, well, the president has talked about it. You hear from him once a week. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, McCarthy's out there five times a day. <laughs> and they're just, they're livid because they're not getting their talking points from the White House. Yeah. The political activists in the mainstream media are upset. They're not being told what to say. And they're upset about it. Here we go. They don't have their talking points. Here we go. This this is just great. Why have we heard so much from Kevin McCarthy and his lieutenants on this? We hear from them multiple times a day, and we've heard so little directly from the president, directly from the White House. I know you're on today. We appreciate it. Why aren't we hearing every day from the president at length, talking to reporters or out in the stump, talking about how this is a bad idea to default? I mean, if you just watch television or read any newspaper or newsletter, you'll see a ton from Republicans and from some Democratic lawmakers and not so much from the White House other than memos. We're focused on driving towards an outcome here, Katie, and I don't think that's wholly accurate. You've heard from the president this discussion beginning March 9th. He's been out there at least once a week on this. Uh, he held Kevin a full McCarthy's press conference. He's out there multiple times a day. He, he's out yeah, there once a week. That's a He's a member of Congress, right? Members of Congress hold press conferences multiple times a day. You don't want to erode. The press briefing room and a number of reporters. I mean, he walks to, to, to leave the White House. He I walks back I don't think that I don't think that would be helpful in driving towards an outcome in the negotiations, Katie. You need. And and there you go. I mean, that that's the problem that's going on right now. And you see the the pushing back is just, uh, you know, amazing. Well, he's out there once a week, but they're out there because they're going crazy because mm-hmm. they see what's happening. And as I said, the the one quote I saw yesterday from a Democratic lawmaker, the president is out there. He's re- remember McCarthy is doing, you know, they have negotiators in there, but McCarthy is the head of the negotiations for the Republicans. Biden is the head of the negotiations for the Democrats. Yeah. And he's not around. Right. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's, it is hilarious right now. And they're just freaking out. And what's interesting is typically we would be hearing what? We would be hearing that McCarthy is in negotiations first with Schumer. But the Democrats in the Senate have done nothing. No. They're out. It's as if the Senate has no role. And we'll just hand it off over to the White House. And and that was uh, brought up uh, last week by multiple, uh, you know, news agencies saying, wow. The Democrats in the Senate are saying we have we have no business being involved in this. We're just going to give it to the president to do it. Right. We're not going to get involved in this whatsoever. They're basically 
handing over their constitutional duty to the executive branch that really has no business being involved, you know, in the negotiations. Congress is supposed to do this. And they've just basically said, uh, make us irrelevant. Yeah. Right. We're not we're not even a part. We're Democrats yeah, as if in the we Senate. Have we're nothing we to do matter. with it. But it's just, I'm telling you, this is just great. That pushback, that's uh, the Katie Turin, MSNBC, and it's like they don't know what to do because they know, number one, Biden can't sell any of this. There was the talk that the Democrats were screaming the president needs to do a prime time. He needs to be talking about this all the time. He needs to be out there, do a prime. And I, as I said, well, it would have to be by Thursday because Friday everybody's gone. Right. Today, after, you know, by noon today, and nobody pays attention to the media, you know, mm-hmm. the average person. Mm-hmm. You know, they may watch the nightly news, but they won't. Everybody's gone on vacation. Yeah, I told you in the pre-show meeting, I've been wondering for a couple of days if their play is to just uh, concede. The White House just kind of concedes over the weekend. We've come to terms on a deal and then just leave it there because Memorial Day weekend, nobody's paying attention. They're not watching the the news. A Friday night deal at midnight. Yeah, or Saturday morning, right? (laughs) Just send it across, float it across Saturday morning. Yeah. We've got a great show ahead, 866-90-RED-EYE. Logging miles during the hot summer months can put a serious strain on you and your truck's health. Did you know pollutants and allergens in the air outside can enter your cab through the HVAC system without you even cracking a window? That's why it's important to check those cabin air filters. Not only do dirty cabin air filters contaminate the air you breathe, they can also cause major damage to HVAC components like blower motor resistors and AC compressors. Have your cabin air filter serviced if you notice less airflow than usual coming from the interior vents. This is a common sign that your filters are at the end of their life cycle. Breathe easy when the air in your cab is fresh. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. It's uh, Idiot Friday. He's Eric Carley. I'm Gary McNamara. I'm just I'm I I just thought of that because I was just looking at the headline. Target CEO defends pride display adjustments while vowing LGBTQ support. Can't have and, it both ways. And then says this has been a very hard day. Yeah. And I'm just like shaking my head, saying, "You need to be fired right now." If, because now you've alienated both sides. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 <laughs> but this is exactly what we have said. There was no way you weren't going to do that in the end. With every situation, that's exactly what happens. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, Colin Kaepernick is still angry that he's not playing football. You know, but there is no... They, think about that. They all, you know, remember all the teams were going to show unity. You know, and, and they all decided to take a knee... Before the national anthem, which is pretty much, I mean, if you think about it, it's like, well, you're you're still sending the same message. 
That's the idea. You're 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 doing it because he did it, and he did it for this reason. Then you're doing it for the same reason. Well, there was no way out of that when um, when Black Lives Matter came along, and then remember after you know that first season, the NBA at the end of the season, NBA commissioner says, "Well, they will not have as uh, as much of a prominent place." <laughs> Yeah, and, basically, and, we're backing out of this. And I was a story out yesterday, black activists running from Black Lives Matter. Right, right. They don't want to be associated with yeah. them as the organization implodes. But it was always going to end this way. Mm-hmm. You're not going to appease. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bonus Show. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. All right. Uh, the uh, debate in the House of Representatives over the debt limit continued uh, yesterday. We'll hear audio from AOC and then uh, Chip Roy uh, countering what she had to say. Chip Roy from Texas. They are accusing Democrats of saying we spend too much. For anyone that wants to entertain that thought, I ask you to think about the last time a person said, has said in this country that the government does too much for them, that their social security check was too high, that teachers are paid too much. When was the last time anyone has heard or seen that? Another, another quote. Uh, President Biden already lowered the deficit by $1.7 trillion. They say his budget would cut the deficit by another $3 trillion by eliminating wasteful spending on big oil and pharma, we're told. But it is, in fact, our Democratic colleagues who prefer to maintain their massive subsidies for the elites and the wealthy 
in their so-called Inflation Reduction Act just last year. My friend from New York, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, said, quote, I ask you, think about the last time a person has said in this country that the government does too much for them. When was the last time anyone has heard or seen that? I'll say it. I'll say it right here. I don't want the government doing most of the things that the government is doing to interfere with the ability of the American people to carry out their lives. Federal, state, and local. When was the last time you had a bureaucrat show up and you said, Oh joy, thank you. I'm really glad there's a bureaucrat here. When was the last time you were thankful for $32 trillion in debt, $100,000 almost for every man, woman, and child in America? Anybody thankful for $32 trillion in debt? Anybody? Anybody thankful for a border that's wide open being exploited by cartels while fentanyl comes in and kills our children? Everybody thankful for that Department of Homeland Security that doesn't actually secure the homeland? Everybody thankful for an FBI that went after Scott Smith and labeled him a domestic terrorist for daring to defend his daughter in a school board meeting because she was assaulted in a bathroom? Anybody thankful for the IRS knocking on your door, auditing the poor and the minorities three to five times more? People thankful for that? Are you thankful for the EPA or the Department of Interior that sent a man to prison because he had some ponds on his ranch in Montana? We have a government that is weaponized against the American people and is undermining our liberties, and they want more of it. Interesting that uh, uh, a narrative that I've seen in the in the last couple of weeks, Eric, from the Republicans, and that's number one, attacking the subsidies for the rich and elite. And when they say that in the and you you notice that Democrats don't respond to that and say that's not true. Because they're talking about the electric vehicle subsidies, Mm -hmm. which, again, the average person does not buy an electric vehicle. Those subsidies are going to the well off. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and so that is uh, interesting. And the other one was that he just said there, let me just go back here. Let me just play start this here again. I want to make just refresh my memory here. If you could put it up. Thank you. Joy. Thank you. I'm really glad there's a bureaucrat here. When was the last time you were thankful for $32 trillion in debt, $100,000 almost for every man, woman, and child in America? Anybody thankful for $32 trillion in debt? Anybody? Anybody thankful for a border that's wide open being exploited by cartels while fentanyl comes in and kills our children? Everybody thankful for that Department of Homeland Security that doesn't actually secure the homeland? Everybody thankful for an FBI that went after Scott Smith and labeled him a domestic terrorist for daring to defend his daughter in a school board meeting because she was assaulted in a bathroom? Anybody thankful for the IRS knocking on your door, auditing the poor and the minorities three to five times more? That's it right there. The one with the, because we, that's the one the Republicans have been pounding that the last couple of weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it, there is an effort from the Republican Party to portray in specific legislation and statistics from the IRS, both the fact that the IRS and the 80,000 will be going after, because remember, they said they were going to go after the millionaires. 
And yeah. the immediate thing was, no, you're not going after no. the millionaires. No. You're going after you're going after uh, the, the the people that may work under the table. The people that work under the table are not millionaires. The people that work under the table are probably the middle class or actually the lower middle class mm-hmm. that are actually doing it. And then they find out that the audits, because of that, are mostly the poor and minorities at that particular point. Right. Exactly. And and so they had to sell it. We said the Democrats had to sell it. And look, we, we believe everybody should pay their taxes. But they know the problem. Democrats knew the problem with that because they said the 80,000 agents are to go after the rich. And we said the rich are being audited all the time. Right. They're not going after the rich. Right. They're going after the poor. And and people that uh, that have unreported uh, income, and you saw it with the whole six hundred dollar, uh, you know, thing that they that that they put into effect. And now they're and, monitoring all the money apps. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I noticed that a couple of my banks changed the amount of what they would allow you to send or receive, and they lowered it greatly. And while I haven't been told for sure, it's not a coincidence, in my opinion, that it happened on the heels of all this conversation about people. And th- and they wanted to monitor that. That That's the part. They, mm-hmm. they talked about that, too. Not just a $600 deposit, but sending money back and forth. Right. Because a lot of people will. Uh, I've paid contractors by sending money. In fact, I'll do it again on Friday by sending money uh, to them. What they report to the IRS is none of my business. But the point is, is that this administration and the Treasury Department, the Treasury Secretary is not coming out and talking about, and they could say it. There's too much unreported income, which means too much of this money flow is, because that's what they're saying. Too much of this money flow is just going Untaxed, but be honest with the American people. Say it. Don't lie and say you're going after the millionaires when and the and the the rich when you're actually going after and the, the a significant portion of uh, is the lower middle class. And, and the reason they can't say it is because over the years conservatives have said, "Look, you know the tax system. Look at who pays taxes and who doesn't." Now we're far past that. Now we're far past that. Now who was it? Rick Scott that wanted to bring up the. Um, you know, the, the changing the, the tax situation uh, during the midterm elections. And we were like, dude, you're not going to that's not going to work. We may agree with you, but that's not going to work politically that mm-hmm. you're not going to get anywhere with that kind of approach. But if this administration came out and said more people need to be paying their share of taxes. See, they've been getting away with the billionaires need to be paying their fair share. And, oh, they can't, and wow. that's why they use billionaires and millionaires uh, uh. in this whole $600 thing. You know, how do you work? How does a Republican work that? If, if I'm a Republican strategist, what I need to do, what, what, I, I would say you need to find out a way to put into your narrative that the Democrats are going after the poor to ensure that they pay their fair share. That's of exactly what's going on. <laughs> and if they, they were, they being... claim they're going after the rich, right, for their fair share, but they're not. They're lying to you. They're going after the poor. Well, and and here's the thing, because they've been getting away with with it for so long, you know, uh, and 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 putting it on the, the backs of the rich. Well, they're not paying enough in taxes. Well, but we've been watching it. 
Conservatives know what they've been doing. They they impose taxes on the lower and middle class. How? Well, by taxing corporations. That's a hidden tax. The corporate tax is passed along to you. Everybody pays it. There is no, you don't get to go back and say, well, how much how much did you give to corporations at the end of the year when you're doing your tax return? And if you're below a certain income, you get some of that back. It doesn't work that way. So they love the hidden tax. And in this case, they're trying to hide the real reason as to why they want to go after people. I think people understand. Look, working under, under the table is illegal. You have to report all of your income. But then you get down to the, well, my daughter uh, babysat for our next-door neighbor the other night and for an hour and made 20 bucks. Does my daughter need to file taxes on that? And the answer would be yes. Mm-hmm. But you, But politically... You can't say that out loud, which is why they're trying to say, well, these millionaires with their $600 deposits. No, that's that's insane. $600. That's not a million. That's not a six. They're not going to be a millionaire for long if their deposits are only 600. All all we're asking for is the truth. Say we're going after the poor and the middle class. Yes. Yes. And when you do corporate taxes, don't lie to the American public. Right. Don't say you're punishing the corporations. Right. Let the American public know that it's a stealth tax right. that hurts the poor the most. Because, and and then say out loud, this is a liberal administration that would need to say out loud that everybody needs to pay their fair share. Yes. They can't yes. say that. Because that's what the, actually that's what, what they're, they're doing. What the Democrats are doing is saying everybody including the poor and the middle class, need to pay their fair share because they're not. And that's right. why we need these 80,000 IRS agents. Yeah. And uh, that's why we want to increase corporate taxes. Right. Because if we increase corporate taxes, the vast majority of the money coming in from corporate taxes will come from the middle class yep. and the poor. Exactly. Tell us where we're wrong, Democrats. <laughs> you can't. It, it is so clear to anybody who's paying attention. That, that's why I find, you know, the last couple of weeks they've been pounding both of those, yeah. you know, uh, you know uh, both of those things. Number one, that, you know, and it's the uh, the rich that are getting the subsidies for electric vehicles. Yeah. Why are we doing yeah. that? Why are we paying uh, for part of the cost of an electric vehicle for the rich? Right. Oh, did you see that thing? on? Uh, I think National Review had that thing about electric trucks. You know, mm. the trucks that they want, you know, in California yeah. that need to, yeah. by 2026, near the ports, be running. Yeah. And uh, man, some great talking. We'll have that coming up. Some great talking points on that one saying, what are you doing? And it's there was another article that they wrote, the Democrats are trying to destroy everything that works. Well, no, the, the, here's, the, here's the thing. On the port trucks, they've been doing this for a long time. The, these are the big rigs that essentially unload, you know, that cargo, load that cargo and everything else. So. In those port trucks, there was an aging fleet for a long time. Then they California came in, and then they updated their uh, regulations, and now they've moved to a mandate coming up on uh, for EVs. They want all electric trucks in the ports. Well, now you think about the cost of doing that. By the way, the bogus number they were trying to uh, float out there. Well, this will save those those trucking companies. I forget what the number was, but 
you know, billions of dollars collectively. Are you kidding me? No, it's not. Have you seen the price of these vehicles? Yeah. And so twice what a normal truck is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. because the trucks are so heavy, they're going to they they estimated need double the amount of trucks to do it. Exactly. Because they they're they're not going to have the same uh towing capa- or or the the same uh freight capacity. They're not going to be able to legally haul the same amount of freight. So then you look at it and say, "All right, yeah, what's the other problem?" Well, the obvious problem is in the infrastructure part, uh, the supply chain thing is you're going to have to you're going to have to charge these trucks. Now, if we've been paying attention to the ports out in L.A., you know what's going on with with the unions and they've been renegotiating. Well, what happened? Well, the private sector said we're going to go around that. We're going to you know outside of the unions rather, uh, they said we're going to go around that. We're going to op- we're going to send freight to other ports. If you slow it down even further in the California ports, you're going to cripple them. Those companies are going to go under. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. <laughs> hey, Sarah Carly, I'm Gary McNamara. Sorry, I'm just laughing at this. Andrew McCarthy yesterday. Mm. <laughs> Such a New York Times headline. This is his entire article. No f- further comment necessary. I'll just quote the New York Times headline. All right. Highways have sliced through city after city. Can the U.S. undo the damage? <laughs> <laughs> That's the entire column. Yeah, right. I'm just going just to... That's I'm it. Just, I'm just going to put the headline down. Yep. Highways have sliced through city after city. Can the U.S. undo the damage? Right. Yeah. Okay. That's the I, next thing. I, I suggest Chicago and New York without any highways going in. Well, that will but, solve. Yeah. Nothing. But, exactly. <laughs> well, no. I mean, what's the next step? If you want to control the means of production and the capital, you got to control access as well, right? Yes. So, tear down the highways. <laughs> Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America we are. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome to Red Eye Radio for this Friday. So I was thinking as we were looking at that headline there from Andrew McCarthy. Uh <laughs> It's a headline, such a New York Times headlines. No further comment is necessary. I'll just quote the headline. Hmm. Highways have sliced through city after city. Can the U.S. undo the damage? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that really is it. Uh, you know, you, you can 
once you control the means of production and the capital, you got to control access. Because you think about, like, the interstate system. What was it about? Well, it was about commerce. It was about access. National, it was about national defense. National defense, yeah. being able to uh, uh, get, you know, I mean, if we have to deploy uh, or if we have to defend our homeland. And the ability to move yep. parts yep. and... Yep, and and uh, and and weapons. That was- Part of that actually came from Harvey Firestone, and right. and when he was in World War One, and he was he was seeing, you know, how supplies and and equipment and everything was moved, and wow, what if we had actual good roads? And then eventually, you saw the interstate system come about uh, years later. Well, now, you know, the idea is well, we can't have all these highways. We can't have all these. Can, how can we undo it? We we should undo all of this. You know, I can expand on this. Yeah, yeah. Homes mm-hmm. have popped up in city after city. Oh, yeah. Millions of homes. How can the U.S. undo the damage? No skyscrapers. Yeah, have popped up city after city. Can the U.S. undo the damage? Right. Electrical lines. All over. They cover an entire city. How can we undo the damage? People all over the cities. How can we get rid of them and undo the damage? No, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a finally what it gets to. All these people. And that's where, you know, that's where the left is. They Look, they've been here for a while. You know, let's all get into a tiny home. No, thanks. I'm not tiny. I'm not getting into a tiny home. Uh, look, I have trouble getting into my large. <laughs> you know, I I do I do find it fascinating. I mean, uh, and I I did for a time on YouTube. You know, was just obsessed with with watching the people that have done that. Now, understand that I watch a lot of things that I will never do in my life. But yeah. I'm but there's a great curiosity about people that do things. That I would never do, and I'm not looking at it from a critical way. I'm looking at it. Oh, are they doing that? Hmm. Well, I mean, it, you know, if they say, "Look, this guy uh, took one of those, uh, you know, uh, thirty gallon totes you buy at Home Depot and turned it into a home," man, you've got my attention. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is this is what it this is what it comes down to is that. And I was telling you, I was reading a review uh, in Wall Street Journal, uh, the Rivian SUV. The R1S, which is the SUV version of the R1T, their their truck. Mm-hmm. Well, the reviewer makes the points. The <laughs> performance-wise, to me, the technology is wow, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about practicality, yeah, right? Because exactly. we talk about the government mandates and subsidies and everything else. If they become this tested version, by the way, a hundred grand, ninety nine thousand three hundred and fifty dollars, according. <laughs> To the reviewer. And he, as he's reviewing it, he says, basically, it, and he used the phrase, if I win the lotto, it basically worked its <laughs> way up this SUV that he was test driving and reviewing. That's what he what he does. Mm-hmm. It's, that's his job. Worked its way up to his, if I win the lotto contingency plan. In other words, 
I'm only going to be able to afford this if I win the lotto, right. which is the case for most people. Right. The technology, amazing. The truck looks, or the SUV looks amazing. I have somebody, I have a, a neighbor of mine in my neighborhood that has one of the Rivian trucks. They look amazing. The technology, amazing. The performance, you got a motor on each wheel. What's not to love? You can get to, I mean, you can cruise at 85. They're all-wheel drive because of a motor on each wheel. So you can get off-roading a little bit. Are you going to want to do that? I don't know. That's up to you. You can treat your vehicle however you want. (laughs) But most people aren't going to be able to afford it, and so it's out of range when that changes. And also, oh, of course, there's the charge. Because he said uh, it can get basically 80% of battery uh, charged in 30 minutes and uh, 140 miles of a battery charge in 20 minutes. Life is not always optimal. Well, it's not optimal, but it's a lot better with other forms of energy right now in terms of that impractical well, part of it. In, in a in a competitive marketplace of vehicles, uh, to have as a defense, it's not optimal. But what right. is in life? Well, it's everything is a comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, number one, the price for something that isn't as if the cost is uh, way over uh, what it would be to get a vehicle that is more dependable. People, we're not talking absolutes here. Right. We're talking about comparisons mm-hmm. in a competitive marketplace. Right. And so to sit there and say, "Well, <laughs> I'd have to win the lottery," and <laughs> yeah. And nothing is perfect. Yeah. Well, no. If I have to win the lot, if I have to win the lottery to buy something, it better be the best product on the market it, by far, and practical in every day. And practical, I wanted, right? Practical, I wanted right. to improve my life, right. not just be cool. I right. need to know that and, it's improved my life in some way. It has made my life right. better. Unless, I, unless I win the lottery and I want it as an ornament. Yeah, you can do that. That's, yeah, that's I mean, fine. That, that's I, fine. I, you know, I, you know, I, it's. Um, you know, I, I bought, uh, wow, coming up on two years ago, in August, it'll be two years ago, I bought a new vehicle. And it's the first brand new vehicle I bought in 30 years. I always bought used. Uh, and my wife just bought a, a vehicle and, and just, you know, I mean, it, it, that's great. But the question is, all right, so what does it do? Well, the truck that I bought um, is going to allow us access to a lot more, uh, you know, four-wheel drive. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's the idea. It, it actually is going to be part of our recreational time and you know you you look at the practical and it's there's nothing wrong with the ornament part of it no if you buy it just and man this is great it's cool to drive and it's within my price range all of that and by the way there's some really interesting officers offers what i notice though right now is the difference between the new vehicles the offerings and 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 where the the um the price points are and used vehicles because used vehicles have have dropped somewhat and it's interesting also how covid put a lot of used vehicles on the market a, a lot of people were working from home so there's a lot of uh, used vehicles that i found anecdotal but that i found in our area that have low miles because a lot of people bought them like in 2020 and didn't drive them uh much and but when you talk about changing the technology of the entire industry and mandating it, it's a whole other conversation. And it is going to break.
people. It is going to break industries, and that's the point for the left. They wanted to break the natural gas and oil industry. I think it was interesting when we we looked at uh, uh, last year for 2022 and the electric division of Ford, Mm -hmm. which has separated, you know, their automobile companies, and they report report differently. Right. And for every electric vehicle that Ford made, they lost 34,000. And those vehicles are way more expensive for a comparable gas vehicle. but And they're still losing 34000 This year, in the first three months, for the number of vehicles they produced for what they have lost, each vehicle has cost them, you know, they've lost $66,000 on every vehicle. The government, the Democrats in the government, wish to have you out of your vehicle, which probably costs the average vehicle comparable to an electric vehicle probably is half as much. Mm-hmm. And and they want to get you out of that and you can't and most people right now with the with the cost of new vehicles, gasoline vehicles mm-hmm. find the cost well that's why you're seeing loans that are 7 8 years. Yeah, right now because yeah. people can't afford yeah. they can't afford them unless they make the payment. Right. And the the Democrats wish to ban those vehicles and force you into an electric vehicle that they know you can't afford. Yeah. And the the point is that's not even including the loss of you're actually not paying full price for those vehicles, even if you take the subsidies away, because these automobile companies are still losing money on them. Right. So if you ever want to get to the point, so the entire thing is a house of cards. You want a house of cards? You have one right oh, there with electric. That's it. With electric vehicles and, and looking, because we had mentioned the, uh, the 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 poor trucks, it was really an interesting article. Dominic uh, Pino, a National Review, electric trucks are worse than diesel vehicles, and talks about the poor trucks that they want uh, all in, you know, completely in California by twenty six. Price the electric port vehicle cost the truck cost a hundred uh, cost twice as much as diesel trucks. Refueling. Filling up a diesel truck takes 15 minutes. Recharging an electric truck takes hours. Infrastructure. California needs 11.6 gigawatts of new electric capacity by 2026 to meet the needs of its electrification mandates. How are they going to get it? Yeah. Right. Wait. Electric trucks are heavier than diesel. Capacity. As a consequence of being heavier, electric trucks can't carry as much freight as diesel trucks. The head of the Trade Association for California uh, Truckers says the company uh, companies will need to double the size of their fleets just to haul the same amount of freight they currently do. Costs as a result of being worse at moving stuff, electric trucks will impose higher costs throughout the supply chain than diesel trucks do, which could raise consumer prices. Yep, will yeah. will raise consumer prices. No, it will. Yeah, freight will freight will go up. They'll pass it on somehow. They have to. And if they have double the fleet of uh, if they have to have double the fleet of trucks that cost double the amount, mm-hmm. they're not going to eat it. No. And so when you when you look at this and remember how has the left promoted this. You're going to save billions of dollars with these electric vehicles. They're lying. Ask the question, why are they lying to you about it? You look at, if you looked at the average fleet ROI, and I haven't, but I know people are working on that right now, of this idea alone, that ROI is going to be far down the road. 
for any for the average fleet buying the trucks and then having to double your fleet. My gosh, I can't imagine. And when we first started talking this, remember we don't we don't get it anymore. The criticism from the left. This was their early mm. talking points, which was, "Why are you guys against technology? New technology?" No, the technology no. is fine. We're not against new technology. It's not efficient. Yeah, it's not efficient. It's not productive for the average person. Right. And the government should not be forcing uh, on the on the people of the United States things that they can't afford and taking away things that they can afford. It's that simple. Yep. When and and we don't believe that the we the government's job is to subsidize products that the public is not asking for and is not going to solve any of the problems that they claim it's going to solve. And and to begin on, with. And on top of that, we delay the greater greater efficiency of a private sector in their offerings. If you take the government completely out of the equation on mandates and subsidies, what do you have? You have a, a very competitive marketplace in the like with EVs. They're going to have to figure it out, how to make it practical. And if they don't, they don't. But it's on them. It's not on the American people. How it, many, how many you, you might have a couple of boutique makers of electric vehicles to sell as ornaments to rich to the the rich mm. if the mandates didn't exist yeah, if, if the mandates if, are if, gone. Yeah. If, if the mandates and the subsidies were gone yeah well so yeah because it's always going to be trendy right. in, a, and, and remember, in a state like california and it's not just the, the subsidies at the final selling point right it's the subsidies that these companies get mm. you know tesla for their you know company outside of, of buffalo where mm-hmm. they paid a dollar mm-hmm. for an entire massive billion dollar plant Mm -hmm. that the government subsidized for them Mm -hmm. that's before you even get to the other subsidies right there's nothing like you know when they go well the oil companies oil companies don't get subsidies like that at all not even close to anything like that and the subsidies they get are more tax breaks and not outright subsidies right the only subsidy they really get is for mixing ethanol in which comes from a government mandate right which we're also against yeah and and so, you know, this is, but this is the thing. They need to make it trendy. They need to make it, you know, hip and cool and then get the political consensus behind them from the rank and file. But that threshold is where you start getting closer to a mandate and people realize there's absolutely no way we're going to be able to afford this. 86690 Red Eye. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Like the chief financial officer of any company, you have to be concerned about rising costs, especially without increases in revenue. Trying to reduce costs, let alone make sense of them, can be a complicated task. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. A penny saved could be $1,000 earned. Saving just one penny per mile over 100,000 miles driven annually will deliver $1,000 to the bottom line at the end of the year. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. What is, oh, I just wanted to get to this story here. All right, this is going to get interesting. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer says, an informant file that he is seeking from the FBI links President Biden to a $5 million bribery scheme while he was vice president. Comer revealed the size of the alleged bribe for the first time on Wednesday in a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray threatening him with contempt proceedings if he doesn't share the file pursuant to a May 3rd subpoena, saying, look, this is not a classified document. And he was making the point yesterday, Mm. and this is the point that we had made earlier, Mm. (laughs) we're the elected representatives of the people. Yeah. This is not a classified document. It's alleging there's a crime that you're not prosecuting. We get this. You know, but in the era of weaponizing the Justice Department, when they can go after parents for showing up at a school board meeting and then labeling them as terrorists, it should be no shock that they just shut oversight, our eyes, out of the picture completely. Uh, The informant tip is dated June 30th, 2020. Comer wrote an additional clue in the mysterious allegation that triggered a guessing game due to the Biden's family extensive consulting work in countries where then the vice president held sway in a remarkable coincidence. I feel there is some uh, editorial comments here. (laughs) It's sarcastic. sarcastic. In a remarkable remarkable coincidence, coincidence. Ukrainian officials held a press conference in Kiev on June 13th. Hmm. Two weeks before the tip, seventeen or excuse me, seventeen days before the FBI tip, where they showed off five million in cash allegedly offered as a bribe to end the investigation of the natural gas company Barisma's founder. Hmm. We'll have more on that coming up. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, at least if you pay attention to the polling, mm-hmm. what we have heard, uh, you and I as talk show hosts of feedback, we have gotten for the last, well, since we've been talk show hosts, yeah. is that the news doesn't get out because the media is biased, and therefore the news never gets out. Right, And we had said a few years back, no, 
actually the networks uh, are not nearly as powerful as they used to be because the Internet exists. And when you see some of the polling, almost two-thirds believe that Trump Russia, the Trump-Russia smear was a hit job, was a political hit job from yeah. the from the Democrats, the Hillary campaign. People know now. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah. this wasn't, you know, I wonder how long they've known because I know I've talked to people uh, in the last couple of years and who bring it up and tell them, well, here's what happened. And they look at you like, you're, are you an alien? Where Their you, eyes where, glaze over. Yeah. We've where, talked about that. Yeah. yeah where, where, where have you, where are you from? But they apparently know now uh, where you've got almost two thirds uh, believe and uh, a majority want uh, the involved FBI officials prosecuted. Well, you know what's interesting is the conversation has changed, I would say, I don't know, uh, over the last year or two, but certainly since, I think, the Durham report, one of the things that's changed is the mainstream conversation about it. Not just since the Durham report, even before the Durham report, you had podcasts like Joe Rogan talking about it. And the reason that's important is because if you get on the real wonkish podcasts or broadcasts then that's a specific audience right and Mm -hmm. then you get out into the mainstream stuff and that's where other people learn about it then all of a sudden they're having a conversation about it uh they may not go into the same level of detail that we did but we've been following it since the very beginning and the idea is that that conversation allows at the at the very least for that judgment is this a hit job and yeah, most people believe yeah it's a political hit job and i i think that's that is a pretty big victory yeah because if we're not you know if there there's obviously nothing uh no more actionable uh items coming from durham's investigation uh and a lot of people will say, well, people need to go to prison and, and look, we don't disagree with you. But you, in a situation like this, you look at the long-term ramifications. And when you find out the truth about how not just one person, but a number of people were involved and participated in the Russian hoax, that changes minds and that politically is what you want you want to change those hearts and minds because you want and, and by the way, I, I don't I have no idea how it's gonna affect elections, but at the very least, it is an acknowledgement as to what happened. The other one third, I don't know. Right. Uh so uh sixty three percent uh believe um sixty three percent of voters told Rasmussen they believe the Trump Russia narrative was a political hit job orchestrated by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Mm. Well, that's the truth. Yeah. And the, so the truth, it took a while, but the the truth is now uh, uh, out there. Probably what a lot of people heard was the fact that this should have never, the FBI should have never launched an investigation. There ne- never should have been a Mueller report. Right. Uh, I say this, you know, because we'll say things that we were right on and, Oh, you guys are getting cocky. But not cockiness has nothing to do with it, and we're not bragging. Um, in fact, I think we're doing the opposite. We we may be 
attacking others for ignoring the obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't hard to... It's not hard in a lot of these cases, as we had stated from day one, which would have been <laughs> January <laughs> 2nd yeah. of 2017, yeah. where we said, what is this? What happened over... When we were gone on Christmas vacation, we came back. Yeah. Think about that's over six years ago. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and we went, what the hell's going on? What's this thing about Trump colluding with the, the, uh, the Russians? And right. from that day on, and if you've been a listener to the show that long, you know we said over and over again, nobody is connecting any dots. Right. There has never been a specific, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 allegation. By the time we got to the Mueller report, there was no specific. Now you had the you had the dossier that existed out there, and these allegations, like the the uh, the the the, the P tape and mm-hmm. and the the prostitutes and and all of that. Mm-hmm. But you never had what the collusion was, right? You never had. Well, this is what it is. And by the time you got to the Mueller report, we said, this is a complete uh, fishing expedition. They have nothing on him. It turned out everything that we said. I'm trying to, when when Adam Schiff was saying that there's evidence of collusion, Mm -hmm. uh, we said when he first said it, and then, you know, he's most likely lying. Because if he had it, he would produce it. And he doesn't have anything, or you'd have the source stories that that would uh, that would come out, and right. the source stories that earlier came out from the Washington Post, and then we we had all of those for you. We told you, and we said, well, you're going to have to do better than source. You're going you're going to have, and we found out well, that was debunked. That was debunked. That was debunked all along, and but nobody could ever get to what was the specific allegation of what Trump actually did specifically. Mm-hmm. You see here, for example, with Comer, you're talking about a specific bribe to Joe Biden. We know the money went to the family. Nobody is debating that at all. Right, right. No one. Right, right. Uh, and so, you know, we had said it for years, people that were paying attention were saying it for years, connect the dots on this because we don't see it well right. as we all know and then as we went on and we learned about the dossier and then at least a couple of years ago when boy the time just flies by when we learned that the Hillary campaign then we learned about Fusion GPS the mm-hmm. money going financing the dossier then we found out about Iggy Danchenko and the drunk fest you know where they really came up with the most salacious parts of it mm-hmm. the Russian national and we brought you point after point after point after point as to the you know the actual the uh, the two enterprises the two major enterprises which would have been the the dossier and uh then the alpha bank uh theory you mm-hmm. know the alpha bank uh, allegation that came out that both were created by the Hillary campaign and that's the thing people look at it and people should have gone to to jail Kleinsmith should have gone uh uh you know Sussman lied to the FBI mm-hmm. There should have been, and, and well, he was found innocent. Well, yeah, and did you hear what the juror said? Well, there's more important things in lying to the FBI. Right. Didn't even deny the fact, didn't say, well, they didn't, didn't come up with the evidence. They, they tried, you know, they did it in a D.C. court, and boom, 
You couldn't get a conviction, but he lied, and everybody knows he lied. Mm -hmm. He lied to the FBI on it. But people look at that and they see, you know, it's sort of like influence peddling. You mean Hillary Clinton paid for and created a lie that they sold to the media, to a willing media, and they sold to the FBI that actually got a secret warrant and it was all bogus? How the hell do you get a secret warrant with bogus information? The FBI's not doing their job. The FISA courts isn't aren't doing their jobs, and this is something that we've talked about this week. That uh, the Wall Street Journal also came up and said, if I the the FISA courts talk about all these wrongdoings, but they're doing nothing to change it. Right. They're apparently they're not upping their standards or demanding that the standards of the FBI be higher, and then they're like, okay, if you're not going to do it, the FISA court needs to be gone. Yep. And then you find out. Almost a quarter of a million bogus things done with warrantless searches in 2021, right? Yeah. Or was it 2022? Uh, no, no, I, I, no, through 2022. Yeah. Through 2022. Yeah. And the, these things are just unacceptable. But with the Russia collusion, you know, you think there was just nothing ever, there was nothing ever there. We could never connect the dots with legitimate evidence they have with Biden. We know mm-hmm. they took the money. Mm-hmm. And the only thing is, Democrats' only defense is not to complete the sentence. Right. Yeah. You know, with with the evidence that exists so far, which is, uh, you know, well, Biden, um, uh, Hunter Biden isn't the president. Well, we know that. Obviously, we're smart enough to know Hunter Biden wasn't the president. It's not about Hunter. But he was the one that got the money and fed it to the entire family. What business are they in? Why is somebody paying the Biden family millions of dollars? What are they? Well, Trump, well, you, if there's something suspicious in Trump, we know the Democrats, obviously, they'll go after Trump when there isn't anything suspicious. So they can they can attempt to go after, they've been able to go after Trump all this time. But Trump's actually in a legitimate business, uh, in a number of legitimate businesses, and so is his relatives. Right. right. But if you want to go in and go, well, that might have been, well, go ahead. They'll look into it. Senate can look into it. Like Byron Donald said that day, you can mm-hmm. point to the Trump businesses and say, well, I know what that is. Yeah. Tell us what the Biden businesses Business are of all of those family members that were involved. And everybody knows it. Every Democrat knows it. Everybody knows it. And the, the polling has shown. Where's the breakdown in the Barbara Walters style, because they would only do it for a liberal president, Barbara Walters style breakdown of, look at all these businesses his entire family's involved in. You're not going to see that. No. You know why? Because there aren't any. Aren't it? That's why they don't, that's why they ignore, they mostly have ignored it and they can't defend it. So they figured the only thing we can do is ignore it. But by them ignoring it, the public finds out about it. Yep. Yeah. And you saw the numbers of the people that believe that there was, you know, influence peddling, you know, yeah. that's, that's even, that's pretty high. That's close to, yeah. what, what was it? 60, almost 70% mm. that, uh, that, that believe it or no, I think it was in the same, about two thirds of Hunter Biden. That's what it was. They believe two thirds believe that Hunter Biden was involved in influence peddling. Mm. Uh, or maybe it was like 63, 64, 65%. And it was like 54% believe that Joe Biden was.
It's like so. There's ten percent in there that believe Hunter Biden was in part of an influence peddling scheme, and it had nothing to, to do, do with, with Joe his father. Biden. It was just when, they wanted influence with Hunter. They right. wanted they wanted yeah. Hunter to do something for them, right? <laughs> which which of course is just ridiculous. It's like okay, there are apparently people that are ignorant as to what influence peddling is. Eight six six ninety red eye. Lines open for your calls. Eight six six ninety red eye on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So with the, the president not really wanting to talk about the, the the debt limit and Democrats going crazy about it, and every single day you hear more about influence peddling and that the American public in the polling, as we just brought to you, believe uh, that, you know, number one, Trump-Russia collusion was a political hit job from the Hillary campaign, from the Democrats, and the vast majority of the public, roughly the same, almost two-thirds, uh, believes that you know influence peddling was going on in the Biden family. One has to ask the question is you know what the Democrats have to be looking at this, because the Democrats are furious at the White House right now. Mm-hmm. They're furious because there's no leadership at all in the, the, the debt limit. He has, you know, the president has the biggest bully pulpit and everybody knows it. And the Democrats are, why isn't he out there? And I think one of the things they're thinking in the back of their mind is he's not capable of being out there. Yeah. He can't sit and ask, answer questions on the, the debt ceiling. It was when he was in Japan and he went through about that two-minute segment where he could not keep a train of thought. And he was just re- he was just reading. It was horrible. I mean, it was really, really bad. Uh, I think there's really concerns uh, from the Democrats right now. And, and, you know, the Democrats were furious that he left town. Yeah. And furious that he, you know, there he is. And because he's involved, he's, you know, he's negotiating with the Republicans. Well, I'm not really going to be there. I'll let other people do it and then I'll just approve it or, or not. And they're furious because they understand how important imagery is. Yeah. And they're furious that, they see the polling. They see McCarthy's out there every single day and the public on the specifics of where, you know, how we should negotiate a debt ceiling. The majority of Americans are behind what the Republicans are doing and they're screaming every day. I mean, they, I was, uh, we were playing an audio cut uh, off the air earlier about Democrats screaming about how it's Memorial Day and the Republicans are cutting veterans. Ben- There's nothing there. They're, they're they're back to just outright line, yeah, right, right. on on yeah. that one. And they want to they want to they want to cut money for veterans, old people, and children. Right, yeah, same old type of life. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and everywhere else, we are Red Eye Radio. All over. The entire universe. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. The galaxy, the universe. Memorial Day weekend is here. How do I know? Because I come out of my subdivision and it says heavy traffic, heavy traffic, heavy yeah, traffic, heavy yeah. traffic. Yeah, it, on at the end of my block, uh, event parking, event parking. I live near the city, uh, the big city park that has, and typically uh, there's an event on Friday and I think Saturday they're going to have another all-day thing, but event parking. And then that pretty much goes on throughout the summer. Uh, around Independence Day and Labor Day, I think there's a couple of other things, outdoor concerts and things they do. But, yeah, uh, Memorial Day in a big way, for sure. Yeah, I go back to uh, when I was a uh, when I was a kid. You know, Memorial Day was always, I was in the Boy Scouts, so mm. we marched in the Memorial Day parade. Yeah. Yeah. And then after, I'm going to guess, it probably I was. It probably started around 10 o'clock and went for an hour. Yeah. You know, there were quite a few people there, though, and, you know, and, you know, you would march in it, and then uh, we'd be back by 1130, and then Dad... Uh, would uh, get the the grill out mm. and <laughs> soak the charcoal and the briquettes in uh, gasoline. <laughs> Everybody stand back. It wasn't lighter flu, it was gasoline. Yep. And then he would take the wooden matches from a, like <laughs> eight feet away, <laughs> light it and throw it at it. And yeah. <laughs> now he waited till the gasoline completely burned out. I mean, it was everything yeah, before right. he cooked yeah. the hot dogs. You want to do that? But then we would, we would always be back. I believe by the time I remember, we would always be back. So maybe the, the parade started earlier because we were always back by the time that the Indy Five Hundred started, mm. which was a huge event back then, and the, and it was taped delayed on TV. Yeah, yeah, they didn't run it. They, they would run it in prime time. Mm. I believe ABC was carrying it at that time. Mm. That's what I remember. Mm. And so you'd listen to it on the radio. Right. Yeah. And I was, uh, to me, it was the Indy 500 was always, and I remember, I, I, I remember my grandfather then went. and But to me, the Indian, I don't know why, it was always bigger than life. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I remember the summer of 76, we still lived on an Air Force Base, Laughlin Air Force Base near Del Rio, Texas, and it was the bicentennial. So the base was decorated the entire year for the bicentennial, but that summer was especially big with, you know, the parades uh, I think I would have been 10, so I think I was still a Weeblow, uh, not a Boy Scout yet, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we was. did our parade 
down near the flight line. It was the easiest because there was no traffic down there ever, usually. And and um, so we did that. It wasn't very long uh, parade, which was great. Then in then years later in high school, the parades got much longer when I was carrying massive drums over my shoulder <laughs> in the heat of Del Rio, Texas. Well, that's because you couldn't play football. Yeah, it's because I was horrible at football, see? You're, look, you're not in shape. Here, put on this these massive quad toms over your shoulder and march into Mexico. We actually would march across the... We didn't do the International Bridge. We did uh, the Amistad Bridge. And officials from Mexico and the U.S. were both there. And uh, quite often. Now, no, we did. Uh, now, we did go into Acuna, which would be where the International Bridge is. So that's a different crossing. Uh, but we did not. The parade was not on that bridge. It started. We did a, a, a one leg of it in Del Rio. Then we they took us on a bus across the International Bridge, then into Acuna on the Mexico side. And we did another leg of the parade there. But. You know, uh, Memorial Day weekend, Independence Day, and, and uh, you know, other celebrations during that year, during 76, as a 10-year-old, I remember, I mean, it was, I just remember, if mm-hmm. you say 1976, everything for me is red, white, and blue because all the decorations on that yeah. Air Force Base, you and, know. And, and I'd be going back probably... Eight or ten years earlier yeah. than you, because I'm yeah. ten years older. Yeah, but I just remember the. Uh, I remember the death of the uh, the auto racer Jim Clark, which was huge mm. news back then. I mean, mm. open wheel was huge. Yeah, it really yeah. was, and yeah. NASCAR was nothing compared yeah. to back then. Right back yeah. then, it just it just, right. it just wasn't. And right. you know, you th- I think of the you know the uh, you know the AJ Foyts, the 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 Jim Clarks, the um, um, Oh, Andretti, uh, uh, Andretti, you know, yeah. good God, you know, and and Andretti, um, uh, Parnelli Jones. I yeah. mean, all these, uh, and then locally, there was always a guy. There was a guy who basically uh, his, I don't know if he owned it or his name was attached to it, by the name of Jim Herdebees, who was an independent, you know, guy who would always get in, yeah. never finish, but you know, you had someone of your own yeah. that had a tire shop just a couple of miles away, and you couldn't believe that he was in the Indianapolis 500. But Mm -hmm. the thing that really got me, what hooked me to the Indy 500 back then, was really encompassing. And as as a Boy Scout back then, you understood Memorial Day. You know, and and by the way, I went by the electronic sign in my town today, and they did not say, join the Memorial Day celebration. Ah, They must have. They changed it. Someone called them. I bet, and, and again, I'm not going to get yeah. mad at people because I understand. I, I understand. I'm a not lot gonna, of people, yeah, get right, that they, wrong. It's, they, they're not. It's they're not right. trying. They're not trying to change the meaning of Memorial Day. Right. It, it, there are people that you know uh, don't actively uh, uh, or proactively recognize Memorial mm-hmm. Day. It doesn't mean that they don't know what it means. But the. Um, what always got to me, what separated the Indy 500 from everything else, hmm. was the preamble. That you don't, I haven't heard the preamble done live in the longest time. They always did it on radio because hmm. I, you know, and, and then when the race would come on later on, we might catch parts of it, but hmm. you were, you know, you were paying attention to the play by play on radio. Sure. When back then, 
everything was, you know, on radio. Yeah. You know, everything, yeah. I can't rem- I can't, I don't remember the last time I listened to a football game on the radio, but remember, in the NFL, the NFL used to black out all of their games. Yeah. It didn't matter whether they were, you know, it used to be, well, if it sells out within, now all the games are played. Yeah. There is no right. even sellout requirement anymore. Right. Yeah. Back then, it didn't matter whether they sold out a game, every game was blacked out, mm. every home game. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know, uh, you got used to listening on the the radio, and you you know the theater, the mind was just great. But it was really it was the preamble that related to Memorial Day, and I just I have it here. I I keep it uh, in on my phone uh, just so I can always pull it out on Memorial Day and read it to people because it was always when they would say this at the Indy Five Hundred before the you know they said you know gentlemen start your engines or you know back home in Indiana. It just I get emotional reading and hearing it today even and it's simply the preamble that a lot of people don't know to the indianapolis 500 on this memorial day weekend we pause in a moment of silence to pay homage to those individuals who have given their lives unselfishly and unafraid so that we may witness as free men and women the world's greatest sporting event Mm -hmm. when they got to the point and i just even now i get emotional saying it Mm -hmm. That when they say, you know, un, you know, unselfishly and then get to the part of, so we may witness as free men and women. Yeah. That you can go and just watch. And that to me as a child and even that's something because you go back. I mean, that I was, I would have been 10 years old in, in 65. Yeah. So I was in, I think I, I so I probably would have been 11. I think I was marching with the Boy Scouts. So mm. I would have been 11 or 12. Yeah. yeah. But when, when I, I probably heard it before, but when it really had that impact on me, and I understood it at that time, and, you know, you and I talk about, you know, growing up when we did, and that my father would hold court. I knew at a very young age, and in Boy Scouts, you had to, you know, you had to back then, you knew, I knew by the time I was 11 years old, I knew how our government ran. I knew the difference between the Constitution of the United States and the Soviet Union. You know, right. Uh, yeah. I probably learned it in school, but where I remember it is from my father. Yeah. And my father, you know, talking to me about uh, everything that we talk about today, why the United States is different, right. you know, what you're actually fighting for, that you're fighting for a separation of powers. Yeah. You know, that the wars that we have fought in the Revolutionary War, it was about creating something where you couldn't get a monarchy where you couldn't get a one party system where you could not get and we're seeing the problems today we mm. see what's happening when the bureaucracy gets too strong we you realize yeah. i mean yeah. it, you you know, from from that time to now and you realize everything that my father explained to me you know and school did also and boy scouts did about why we are different you see it right now at times actually in action where the power base is growing in the bureaucracy and Congress is trying to stop it down. And so is the Supreme court. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at, we, we talked about the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the decision yesterday, the nine zero decision on, you know, basically um, (laughs) what, what do you call it? Water, water, WOTUS, yeah, yeah, but I mean, to but, explain it to everybody, because nobody knows what WOTUS means. Water of the United States. Waters of the United States. Right. And and you can say, oh, it can sort of boring me. Flooding, water, and property rights, whatever. But that's a critical decision on 
property rights and the overreach of the federal government. And the misinterpretation of the Clean Water Act and and law itself. And it's extremely important that you had actually nine, it was nine zero, even though they disagreed with the how far the federal government could go, that was a 5-4 decision. Mm -hmm. They were 9-0 that the federal government had gone too far. Right. And and that is, I mean, that's, you you see the separation of powers, and the separation of powers is going to work in times like this when we view it as a crisis. That's when, and the Constitution may not work overnight, but you see it working very slowly, very slowly. Right, right. And, and, And as we have seen, with the Supreme Court and the constructionists over the last couple of years, slowly rolling back what the left wants. and mm-hmm. But all of those things, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, I was taught at a very, you know, young age, so it was very important. So when the preamble of the Indy 500 came up, it meant something to me. I understood that when you put the country in the hands of the people through their elected representatives, that it is the highest morality that you can get in any type of system to run a society. Whereas, it's not it's not yeah. perfect. It's dirty. I mean it's it it gets to be dirty and it's hard and it's it's uh you know and the right decisions aren't always made, but basically it comes down to the fact that, hey, that's what we're about. If you if and we've said to this before, if the United States, if the people of the United States don't care about corruption then the country goes down. We're at a critical time, I believe, and you look at the weaponization of the Department of Justice. You look Mm -hmm. at the approach and the overreach that we have talked about and what we just mentioned, the misinterpretation of law, but also then the distortion of the Civil Rights Act. Oh, yeah. When now... We're, the left is saying that anyone can belong to any protected group simply by saying so. And that means that those protected groups no longer exist. If anybody can just say, oh, no, I'm part of that group, then the protections are gone for those groups. And over and over again, we've seen this. Um, I grew up with a guy named David friend of mine whose father did not come home from Vietnam. My dad did. And I was keenly aware of that growing up. And David turned out to be an outstanding individual because his father, Lieutenant Earl Brown, and the tone that was set very early in his life and also That sacrifice that lived with his son, that ultimate sacrifice that lived, that his son was always keenly mindful of, was something that all of us who became friends with that family learned about intimately and carried with us. And I, there's, to squander that, to allow our freedoms to go away is to squander that, and it is to say that those lives meant nothing. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. 
Friday Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, you know thinking, and you know, I, whether when it's Fourth of July, Memorial Day, you know, any uh, you know Flag Day, Veterans Day, all those days, I always think about you know the the country. I think about the Declaration of Independence. I think of words like you know the we hold these truths to be self evident um, truths. Yesterday, DeSantis talked about the truth. I have no idea who's going to win this election. But the fact is, I'm glad he brought that up, that basically we need to be the party about truth. Somebody has to be out there promoting the truth and talking about the fact that we live in a society that we don't give a damn about the truth anymore if it fits our narrative. That's a huge problem in any democracy. Your goal has to be the truth. It has to be. And I think that's one of the, when I look at the greatest, you know, downfalls of our nation, you know, jealousy and envy is, have always existed. It's still a huge problem that we have today. But accepting the acceptance of lying, not just by the politicians, but now the public, if it fits a particular goal of the public, has to stop. That will destroy the country. There have to be people that are seeking the truth. We've seen how dangerous it is because it leads to, if you don't care about the truth, then you don't care about the Justice Department being weaponized. You don't care about them coming after you. If you don't care about the Russian hoax, then you don't care if if they come after you. If they'll do that to somebody who's globally famous, then becomes the nominee, and then becomes eventually the president, who won't they do that to? The truth also expands out to uh, when we see the where we are today with liberalism, which is feelings supersede the truth. Sorry, you know, we may soft sell to children what the truth is in order to because they have young minds. But the whole goal is always in a free society to get adults to be able to handle the truth. It's what it's all about. It's not, well, their feelings are hurt, so lying. And that's what we're being told in the liberal transgender activist movement to defy reality. Reality doesn't exist. Why? Someone's feeling is going to be hurt. You can't change the truth. The left believes you can change the truth. You can make the truth different. You can change the actual truth. You can't. It's always a lie. Always. The truth cannot be changed. Bonus show. And he's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Uh, so here we are at uh, Memorial Day uh, weekend. I am heading out of town in, uh, in a little bit. You're leaving. Yeah, just uh, heading to Tarpon Springs. Thanks for. I got a few emails from people 
Florida. Hey, if you're down near Miami, give me a call. I'll have a drink with you. Hey, if you're near Daytona Beach, no, I'm in uh, Tarpon Springs. All right. Outside of Tampa. Mm-hmm. Near Palm Harbor. So This is the annual Gary, Jerry, and Mary get-together. Gary, Gary, Jerry, and Mary. Your friends. Yes. Jerry and Mary. Yes. Now, anyone with a different sounding <clears throat> name is unwelcome. You cannot be a part of the group. Right. Larry? Like, if uh, Larry shows up, he's Larry. in. Right. Another if Mary Barry shows up, he's in. Barry, Larry. If another Mary. Mm-hmm. Terry's in. Terry would be in. Yep. But the the name must the name must rhyme. And don't say uh my name is uh Zary. <laughs> Nobody's name Zary. <laughs> Get out. Get out right now. Don't You're not welcome. Don't make up a name. Don't make up my name is <laughs> Wary. No, it's not. And and uh you know uh, Jerry is uh uh one of my best friends, really one of my two best friends of guys that I know. Mm-hmm. Be Jeff and Jerry. Jeff I've known since I was eight. Jerry I met when we were bill collectors. Yeah. Uh, when we were both uh, 18 years of age. And that's where I met him. And uh, it's really strange that we ever, you know, we ever became friends because, you know, he at 18 was, he had it together. I was mm. this little tiny nerdy kid. Yeah. They thought I was, I looked so young when I was 18. That, you know, they thought that I was just, you know, one of the grandsons of one of the vice presidents who was just walking around mm. looking like a little business person mm. in a tie or something. They just went, you know, yeah, they, right. they oh, really, look, they dressed him up. Yeah, look, exactly. They, put they a tie they, on him. They really Isn't that didn't. Cute? And for some reason, uh, we connected and have been friends for the longest time. But mm. as, and, and I've told the, the, the best story about Jerry, just so people know. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, okay, now I realize why you have a bond is is when we were in, uh, this is a couple of years after we knew each other and we're still working at the bank and and uh, I was uh, you know I was uh, club DJing mm. at that point and I had done uh, my one of my favorite stories also very quickly I worked at the disco for two weeks I filled in I filled in for a guy and he was a disco DJ and I didn't want to do disco and. He said, come on, do me a favor. I'm on vacation. I want to take a, haven't taken a vacation. I said, I don't even know what to spin with disco. And he said, I'll give you the list. I said, okay. And all I, all I remember, I can't remember anything that I played except the last song of the night. The final song was always Color My World by Chicago. All right. It was always the last song of the night. All right. And I worked at a place called the Port Shark. And it had, it had a little it had a shark's tank in it with a shark in it. But a, a live shark, a live shark, little, little live shark. And then the DJ booth was a shark's mouth. The shark's mouth is open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by the way, this is, I think this is right after Jaws came out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the first Jaws. Great marketing for that yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. And so the mouth is open and you're sitting in there, you know, yeah. you're, that's, you're in the mouth of the, of, of the shark. It's a DJ booth. We're going to need a bigger dance floor. That was the motto. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's great. <laughs> and and so uh you know, I that wasn't my scene and and I probably in my jeans and flannel shirt or corduroy pants and a flannel <laughs> shirt or something like that. Yeah. But they loved me. 
and I just, you know, and I just followed the, sh- the, the sheet that they gave me. And uh, he gave me a couple of sheets to a different order of like, I don't know. Which is harder to do, by the way, if you don't know the songs. Yeah. Even if you don't like the songs, this is the life of a DJ. And you had it. And it, you know, the, the, the beat, the beat per minute thing wasn't as big back then. No, it hadn't really happened. No, it really no, hadn't. No, but, no, no. but you had to be able to still, you, you had to be able to, uh, because it was a mixture of disco and then ballads back then. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you had to be able to talk, you know, talk, you know, from one level and, you know, slow your voice as you went The energy the, had to match the song. Right, yeah. right. You, and you had to sometimes evolve that energy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the set. So you did have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. And they just, they, they just, for some reason, loved me. And when uh, my two weeks were over, they said, please stay. So mm-hmm. what do you mean, please stay? What about the guy, Rick? They said, well, we'll let him go. And I said, I can't take a friend's job. I just can't. Yeah. I just came to fill in. And, and I'm not, plus, corduroy is groovy. You wanted to well keep literally and, well. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to spin disco. It just was. Yeah. I wasn't into the music. The people were great. It was mm-hmm. just the music. I just you know, I, and I was working full time at the bank at that time, or mm-hmm. not full time, but almost full time, and going to college. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm, I just don't, you know, I, I don't, don't want to do disco. And they they kept upping the pay. Yeah. Man. And they said, but if, you know, you're going to make this kind of money, mm-hmm. just let you know that you got to change. You can't be dressing like this. And I've told the story before. They wanted me to, you know, and they said, we may help you with the clothing allowance, but what we'd like you to be in is leather pants with a silk shirt unbuttoned down to the navel with a gold chain with a shark's tooth at the end. And and you draw the line at the shark's tooth. And the leather pants and the silk shirt unbuttoned down to the navel. Oh. It was like, Bye. <laughs> and so I was looking for another job, and my buddy Jerry said, hey, there's this rock and roll bar. Mm. He said, I, you know, it's right near where I live, and everybody goes there. It's a real popular place. They're looking for a DJ. Yeah. And this was rock, though. You know, yeah. back then, whatever the rock was at the time in the mid-70s rock, classic rock is really, mm-hmm. you know, what was being played at that time. I said, it well, wasn't that- classic yet, but, yeah, it was rock. Yeah. <laughs> Just called <laughs> Rock. <laughs> no, classic rock was Elvis. <laughs> yeah. And Buddy Holly back yeah. then. Tommy Dorsey. <laughs> Tommy, <laughs> Benny Goodman. Yeah. yeah okay, let's go music. back further. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't go back far enough. Yeah, right. And so I said, yeah. And so I went in and interviewed, and they said, okay, we're going to test you out, like on a Friday night, uh, midnight to 1 a.m. You get in there. It's a horrible time to work. I don't think they paid me. It was just a audition yeah i know that feeling and so and so i said all right and so i apparently i was able to wear my flannel shirt and my <laughs> yeah and my corduroy pants and nobody cared right uh but you know i went in there and the, the dj booth was behind the bar was like l-shaped and i was right at the corner hmm. you know right there above the bar you go back through the side that way and so it was really the, did you say the bar was al sharpton what did you say what it was was l-shaped <laughs> <laughs> And and so and you're just right up there at the 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 corner and so the half the bar is one side of you and the other the other side of you and you're looking mm-hmm. down upon everybody up mm-hmm. probably about well I don't know eight feet in the air looking down yeah so I get in there and remember we're on the Canadian border so mm-hmm. I thought the perfect song and you hear it at hockey games all the time across the country mm-hmm. was the Canadian band Trooper raise a little hell mm-hmm. well I mean it's midnight that's what I'm going to play mm-hmm. raise a little hell I mean. That, mm-hmm. And so 
uh, I go in there and, you know, Jerry's there and, you know, he's there to support me and everything else. And I, whatever I say, I say, and I go into song, raise a this little This is your hell. big debut. My big debut. And I raise, and I, you know, I come on and I say whatever I said and went into the song, raise a little hell. And it starts going very clearly. You can hear raise a little hell, raise a little hell. Mm. The place goes, goes bonkers. I mean, absolutely bonkers bonkers mm. people are going crazy they're jumping up and down they're screaming throwing napkins they're throwing just napkins going probably throwing shot glasses i mean yeah they were absolute but that's by the way that's there where were I, silk and shot tooths everywhere that's where i saw that's where i saw the worst fight ever and it was between two women with long fingernails oh. wow. bloody faces that was the worst fight I wow ever uh but uh <laughs> but this went on for an hour they never stopped the entire time people were going crazy mm. Well, I get off there, and the owner comes up to me, and the manager, they say, you are the best damn DJ we've ever seen, ever heard in our lives. Nobody has ever gotten that kind of response. Well, I'm flying on cloud nine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. this is just great. Because that kind of response Doesn't sends people happen. immediately to the bar. Yes, exactly. When the yes. energy goes up in the yes. room, people oh. start drinking oh. And heavily the, like they were all over the place yeah, they, yeah they that's why club owners people like buying yeah. drinks left and right whatever so i go out there, this is my buddy jerry i go i did it i did it i did it and he goes well you really didn't I go, what do you mean i really didn't he goes you owe me a hundred bucks he goes for the two hours before you went on i bought everybody in the bar multiple shots and told them when my buddy goes up there go crazy for the entire hour yeah that's who i'm going to visit i owe him <laughs> <laughs> I might never, I might never have gotten to this point in my career if it wasn't for that moment. That's it. You got to swim through the silk to get to whatever this is. So, <laughs> like Joe Biden, we yeah. bribed them, but I didn't yeah. know. Jerry was my hunter, but I didn't know. Jerry was paying them for access. Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> Listen, I'll let you even meet the guy. You just got to shout. Yes. Really loudly. So, okay, uh, Hunter. Absolutely, absolutely true story. And it was the, the Rickenbach in East Aurora, New York. All right. The Rickenbach. The Rickenbach is right. what it is. It's okay. still there. It's in some other, I mean, it's a restaurant now or something like oh. that. But, uh, All right. But, yeah, so that's a true story. Uh, yeah. Does the restaurant have a dance floor? <laughs> Uh, I don't even know. I don't. Oh, you know, the the one thing I do remember, yeah, is Tuesday night, and I didn't work Tuesday nights, but I remember Tuesday night was five shots for a buck. Yeah. Well, that's how Jerry. I mean, drinks were much cheaper at, at bars. That's how he could afford buying people well, those drinks. That, that was night. Yeah, I mean, that drink. Yeah, drinks weren't uh, drinks. You know, weren't expensive. It's, in it's fact, not like they would into a back in the day. They would, uh, they would do ladies' night. Ladies get in free, drink free, drink no, free, no yeah. cover charge. Yeah, you're and right. you drink free. Yeah, I've never put on so many wigs and worn so much makeup <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and I was in a rock band. <laughs> well, that where do you think cross dressing came from? Exactly. <laughs> I'm just here for the free ladies, drinks, ladies' nights. <laughs> Ma'am, you need to shave. Oh man, I even think about the controversy now. Yeah, if you had a ladies' oh, night, oh, you can't. Could you imagine? I think they outlawed it in our state. No, I, I don't but, mean that. But, but even if you tried to just have any promotion, right. ladies' night. But if you did, if you did ladies' night, mm-hmm. well, I identify. There you go. 
Because the first club manager that says no. Oh. Well, the club manager may look and go, you don't identify as a woman. You're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> if you think I'm going to buy into that. Exactly. <laughs> you can be whatever you be you want to be, but you're not getting a free drink. How dare you? I'll protest tomorrow, but not before noon. I'm definitely going to be. Because <laughs> yeah. I am drunk, and I am I'm sleeping in. Right, well, protest at 3 but, in the afternoon. But 3 or 4 p.m., I'm going to be here with my friends. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Front Eye Radio, he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following the top of the hour, uh, at least 1,000 Amazon workers to walk off the job in Seattle. Over what? Hmm? Over return to office mandates. Oh, you got to go to works. And some layoffs. Yeah. So we will uh, get to that right. story. And then the other story that came out yesterday, and we had talked about the finances earlier on of Black Lives Matter, but story out there, black activists are now distancing themselves from Black Lives Matter mm. as the whole the whole thing was built on a lie to begin with, as yeah. we've stated before, yep. and now it's completely collapsing because those that actually created it weren't in it for what they claimed they were in it for. Right. Yeah, the cause was right. never the cause. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the cause is a lie, mm-hmm. and you know it's a lie, and you're yep. raising millions of dollars, what's the point? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how so many things for the left are imploding. But not surprising. And we've talked about how corporations and individuals, organizations, uh put everything into something before they even know what it is, before you vet something. Well, you've seen it right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the tar- we'll get to the target thing, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Well, I'm defending what we did, and at the same time, I fully support the LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah. What? Are you paying attention? We're not going to do that anymore, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but we still, in our minds, are doing it. Well, you can't have it both ways. Are, are, you, are you paying attention to what's going on in this country? There is no win. There I'm, is no win there. I'm going to attempt to serve the right and the left. Yeah. Uh, no. You know how you serve the right and the left? You don't talk about any of it. You sell your product. Oh, and did you see Troy Aikman's been making the rounds like crazy? People need to get back to talk about the quality of their beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Welcome to Memorial Day weekend. Didn't even check to see. I know. I know. I did see the warning about the airlines over the summer, and yeah. the the airline associations are saying, "Look, the major problems are going to be because of the federal government and the FAA." Mm-hmm. And then Buttigieg came out yesterday and said, "Well, no, that'd only be five percent of the problem." So hmm. this, this is like the pre-blame game. Right. But they're saying the biggest problem is going to be around New York City airports. Hmm. That they're only at 51% of the staffing requirements for air traffic controllers. I don't know how you change that. I mean, the first thought is incentivize, but. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. I don't know I, it, because it's a tough job. Well, it's a tough job. There's a lot of work uh, that is required to for every flight to happen. And who wants to do that anymore? Right? There is yeah. a very severe shortage of workers in in that industry mm-hmm. right now. And I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers as to. How many flights have been pared down, you know, as they kind of tightened up those those flights? There are very few open seats on flights anymore, if any. So the question would be in that in that time period, a lot of this came from COVID where people just left those jobs. They were, you know, and didn't want to go back to those jobs uh, and. That's happened to a number of industries, but it's been going on, I mean, for the past couple of years, kind of building to this point. And typically, the way you would fix that is incentivize, pay more. But there are certain jobs that just aren't going to pay that. You get to a, you know, a certain level and you're not going to cross that uh, that threshold on certain roles within that industry. Well, you think about it because when you look at the story about uh, Amazon, Seattle-based uh, Amazon workers from the New York Post have plans to walk off the job on May 31st in an act of retaliation over layoffs and return to office mandates. At least a thousand employees at Amazon Seattle headquarters will participate in the walkout, which was announced over Slack and email messages that were reviewed by the Washington Post. Mm even though this is a New York Post story. Mm -hmm. We're really walking out to show leadership is taking us in the wrong direction and employees need a a say in the decisions that affect our lives. It's a one-day walkout to show power. Employees disgruntled over Amazon's return-to-office mandate, which took effect on May 1st, as well as members of Amazon Employees for Climate Justice are partaking in the walkout, the Times reported. Mm. So are they, is the climate, Amazon Employees for Climate Justice, is this about the fact of, 
having to go to the office is destroying the planet. Yeah. Because you have to drive or take public transportation. Yeah, yeah. You, you just make up excuse after excuse. Yeah. Not going to cut it. No, it's not. It isn't. There there are some, we talked about the IT, what's going on with the IT world. There are some jobs where you could say, well, those companies or that industry is going to have to come around. They're going to have to meet in the middle somewhere likely if the mindset has changed and they can't find the talent. Or they outsource. Mm-hmm. Well, you outsource and... Then the question is the quality of the outsourcing and everything else. You're going to, mm-hmm. there is, there's a great deal of negotiating going on with the IT sector and has been going on. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking about, I'm not saying it's going to happen, just throwing out the options that companies mm-hmm. have. And those companies know that, all right, well, as long as we can, those individuals can remain productive, we can measure that and that's the way we'll do it. Not every company is going to be able to do that. And the companies that are saying, we're getting back to work, are looking at it saying, if we don't, if we don't get back to working at the office, then we're going to be in a decline. That's going to be far less productive, and we can't afford that. Can you and I protest something our company is doing by leaving? Let's come up with something that we disagree with our company. That way we can leave in the next half hour and get an early start on our three-day weekend. Well, because they're walking, they're in. They're not. They're walking off their job while they're, you know, and I'm assuming they're salaried employees mm. while they're getting paid. Uh, employees based at Amazon campuses elsewhere in the U.S. are also taking part with reported plans to log off for the day after their lunch break. Well, without pay, are you taking a personal day? Do you expect the company to pay you for that? What's yeah. the deal here? Right. But I just, when you see what they're, we're, we're telling you that you need to have more workers and not lay off, and we don't want to work at the company. Yeah. Those are things you didn't protest three years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally changed. Now, there might have been protest if you were just laying off to outsource. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's what Amazon is doing. I haven't seen that. I've not no. seen that. No. I let me uh, rephrase it that way. I have not seen even that allegation being thrown at them. Well, I think what's going on with a lot of IT is the fact that the technology is advancing to the point that you're going to need fewer people in those yes. roles. Mm-hmm. And that's where the people that are trying to take a stand uh, unless you're part of a union, you're not going to you're not going to get that agreement. And even if you're a union, you can't stop the inevitable. We no. saw this at Google. You're seeing it with pretty much any tech company right now. The future is changing pretty rapidly, and the number of humans that will be uh, required for those jobs is dropping. The forecast for the number of humans. I saw uh, an analyst the other day talking about it, saying, "We used to think that all right, this is where you go to a, go to school to learn this, 
And now it's happening. The change is happening so rapidly. They don't even know what to tell. I can't tell you what to go to school to learn. I can't tell you because I don't know where those jobs are going to be. There will be jobs. They, it's just changing rapidly, which roles are going to be human, which are not. And I, I think that just looking from a layman's perspective, we talked about Google, the layoffs there, and what's going on. Well, I mean, that the entire equation at Google, you were building something that saves the user a ton of time and creates a much greater efficiency in a number of things, shopping, research, and anything else. And information, you guys knocked it out of the park, and how did you not see that being the next step, that those humans that were involved in building that, eventually Mm -hmm. that was going to be much less of a need. And here we are. That is the advancement of the technology. It was the entire purpose. Not to lay off people, but to create those greater efficiencies. Right. They right. What, what did they say one time in the information age, and this has been several years, that today you can? it would have taken you 100 years to gather as much information as you can gather with technology today. 100 years ago, it would have taken you 100 years to gather that. So it's probably right. The idea is that you you're creating this massive efficiency. Now, if you look at chat GPT, it's kind of the same thing. It's based on data input and everything that's available on the Internet, which means it's not always accurate and (laughs) it's not always true. <laughs> and Chat, and you, you you give it a task, GBT, do something with that information. Yeah, exactly. Do something. You give it a task. Do something with all that information that's out there. You and I know how, just in our business alone, how technology has made us so much more efficient and productive. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about this before. How. When I began in talk radio and up to the time of really probably 2000, 2001, 2002, it was still going to tons of newspapers and cutting out articles. Remember that. Yeah. And, you know, you'd be doing a show and the information you'd be talking about, everything you'd be talking about was 18 hours old. Mm. And now... I can't tell you how many times I'll be getting ready to take my second sleep shift at 5, 5.30 p.m. in the afternoon, saying to myself, okay, I got everything pretty lined out, you know, pretty much in my head. You wake up at 10, and the whole world has changed, and everything has changed, and you're scrambling, which is why you hear me a lot of times start the show saying, I'm not ready. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, I, it wouldn't matter when the show started. There's there's yeah. so much breaking news and so many different updates and so many different news sources and so many different angles and so many different stories that will appear. And you go, okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. 
And so when I say I'm not ready, it's not that I don't have enough to talk about. It's that there's so much information out there, you're trying to organize it in your head. Well, it reminds me of the time uh, we went river rafting and where you put in right away, there's, there is a pretty good rapid that you go almost instantly into. That's kind of like our day. Look, you're just going to, the raging river is there. You just have to jump in and get started. That's pretty much our job. Let me ask you this question is, is that what is happening that is, you know, you and I, you know, when I, it, it's a lot more. Now it's enjoyable for us. We enjoy it. The intent, the increased intensity because of all the information coming your way. And the work that you are able to do is in preparing to do a radio show is that much greater. Is that one of the problems that's happening in normal jobs is that because of information being so readily available that if you've been at a job for 10 years, that just the natural progression of it is you're actually doing uh three, four, five times the amount of work and you're busy at a consistent basis where you might not have been that the quality of the, what you perceive as the quality of the job, I could do my job and relax and I could talk to people and now it's you can't do that. Everything is intense and it's more intense being there at work and being at home is where you can get back to where maybe where you were, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. Just wondering. I don't know. I've just, I just, I, I think that the, I think that the COVID era spoiled a lot of people and they love the idea. I think they don't want to be connected to anyone. I think the <laughs> virtual connection is the only connection that they want. They don't want the interaction anymore. I can get restaurant and groceries and everything on my porch by clicking a button. I don't even have to talk to the person. I can do everything, all my banking, by clicking a but- button. I don't have to get in the car and go do my banking. Why should I have to do my job? Sort of like when I go to the store now and and uh, people, I'll see people say, well, if, if I wanted self-checkout, they should give me a discount because why am I doing somebody else's job? Where my response with self-checkout was, oh, good, I don't have to deal with the human being. Mm-hmm. I'd rather do it myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's a, those Different, two different types of people. That- I mean, we created all these conveniences, but we also created a, a mindset because the delivery thing was really ramped up. There were a lot of grocery stores that weren't up to the Amazon-type status. Now, on global delivery, they're not. But on local delivery, they're getting pretty close, and they did during right. COVID. But is that part of it, like, for example, with Amazon, that – you know, I don't want to go back because it, they've kept the intensity has kept to shorten it, to shorten it, to shorten it, to shorten it. Yeah. And now I can't tell you how many times it's like I'll order something at 10 o'clock in the morning and one o'clock. It's like, what's on the porch? Right. Oh, it's there already. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't happen eight years ago. Right. It was almost always two days yeah. or three days at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Has that created as they're cutting back because you can handle and do so, so much more with the information technology that we have today that people feel overwhelmed. Well, even in those uh, service centers, the the warehouses, they're seeing that. Uh, Walmart just announced they're expanding. They have two massive service centers that they're putting in in regional form and kind of following on the e-commerce side along with what Amazon did. Now, Walmart overall 
towers over Amazon, but in the e-commerce game, Amazon rules. So you create create that business model, but inside those warehouses, the automation is incredible. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're creating those efficiencies, fewer humans, and you can't just demand that you have so many on site. Unless you're part of a union, that's not going to happen. 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. To determine a driver's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, safety event data is recorded and compared against that of other drivers. Drivers are given a CSA score, but unlike motor carrier scores, driver scores are only visible to enforcement officers during an audit. However, drivers' most recent five years of crash data and three years of roadside inspection data is made available to potential employers via the pre-employment screening program. So it's a good idea for drivers to review their online PSP record from time to time. A request for data review can be submitted via data queues to have errors corrected or to have a non-preventable crash designation indicated for a crash. In the event a current or previous carrier is audited, records on drivers with high CSA scores will be targeted first, but individual drivers are not subject to CSA interventions like motor carriers. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Front Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. When you were saying that, uh, that what was it? That a hundred years ago, that uh, it would they, take you a hundred years to gather the uh, information, information that you could get in in one hour on on Google. I think is what they what they you know, came and, to. And you think you know this? This is a thought that I got when I saw uh, the History Channel had. Remember the men who built America. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at that point, which really started around, you know, the 1850s when they're talking about the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. And I look back at that and I'm just like, wow, Um, you know, there has been a huge change in society and people have always said, well, uh, the public hasn't kept up. But when you actually look back to the 1850s and compare it to now, except for real estate, Mm -hmm. the, the amount of land you own and the actual home that you live in, you know, the size of it. Most Americans live like the billionaires of the 1850s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything, the, the because of technology and everything, the quality of life that we have, we live like billionaires from 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder will be like 150 years from now. Mm. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. 
And he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, we were talking about Amazon and the walkout they're going to have on on uh, uh, May 31st. I almost said August. I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't know what month I was in. Huh. Um, and I started thinking there's another story out there yesterday that uh, Starbucks has closed all of the uh, uh, Ithaca, New York stores that went union. One year after the uh, workers unionized, you know, and we we talked about where the union movement is going. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about technology, too. With the technology that we have today, you're able to monitor each individual employee and what they actually do. Even working from home, yeah. the monitoring yeah, you can, is very, very close. And, and if you can reward workers that do well and those who don't, it's tougher for people to want to be in a union, mm. especially if they feel that they have their autonomy. Yeah. And one of the things that you and I looked at for the, and this isn't whether you're pro or union. This is just, uh, uh, this is just the reality of where we are today is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always, you know, when when I look at unions, my opinion's always been they're antiquated, mm-hmm. and that's why you see them growing only in the public sector. Mm-hmm. And w- when you look at, for example, the Starbucks union. We've always had great doubts that they would work for really union reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them is too transitory. Yeah, People don't stay in those jobs long. There isn't you know, a place where, and seniority has also always been one of the cores of the union movement. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't stay there long. The movement is very quick, and it's such a highly competitive business where in a short time, like a year, if your costs go up, you're gone because of the competition. Mm-hmm. And in coffee? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, well, the service industry has been plagued with uh, their own staffing issues mm-hmm. uh, over the last few years as well. And Starbucks is not exempt from that, just uh, less than a mile from no. here. There's a Starbucks down there that I remember at one point, and this was really outside of COVID, after COVID. They were still struggling, and they were, uh, at one point, that location was closing at 5 p.m., and that went on for a couple of months. And I'm like, wow. Now, the morning hours is when they thrive, right? Morning, midday mm-hmm. is really when they thrive at that drive through but they were having to shut down because they couldn't find enough people. And that's going on all over and in many different in- industries. And you talk about unionizing, as you mentioned, that's a revolving door industry. People don't stay long. You're not really meant to stay long unless you're in management. And even then, those managers don't stay at one location long. And odds are management's not going to unionize. Nope. nope. <laughs> but when you when you see and this, I, I'm not surprised by any of this. And they're like, well, there's been unfair labor practices. And yet you can charge them as much as you want with unfair labor practices. It doesn't matter if the stores close down. Right. If they're gone, they're gone. If they're when they're gone, they're gone. And so we've always had great doubts in just because of the way that technology is going and the way that you can monitor individual workers and the way that mass production, which, uh, you know, really uh, in a lot of, you know, when you see the United Auto Workers and things like that, 
mass production was what made it where you had a ton of similar jobs, you know, where you performed one task all the time. And, you know, it's a pretty monotonous job. But a lot of that's being taken over by machines now. And the jobs that are left are the technical jobs where you can be graded specifically by your individual accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that is why the union movement isn't what it was, is because the jobs have changed. Yeah. The jobs have changed. And the man the the manufacturing jobs that you had there now there's other places where it still has you know you have you know oil workers pipeline workers you actually have skilled tradesmen that are still you know parts of of uh, unions uh, out there one wonders though with the lack of of technical workers whether companies will look at it you know it's it's almost like the when i was i, I talk about being in the radio union one time there was a radio union that i was in Mm -hmm. and it was for all intents and purposes useless why now you're union bashing let me explain this story and then you tell me whether i'm union bashing they sat there and there was a great big you know brouhaha all right we have raised the minimum talk show host now in this town this goes back years ago we'll make thirty six thousand dollars a year we've upped the minimum starting salary whatever it was, you know, 17% in the first year. Mm. So the uh, minimum a talk show host will make is $36,000. The lowest paid talk show host in the market was Mm 75,000. And so the, the private marketplace, the competitive marketplace was paying over double what the unions were negotiating at that point is a union necessary. And so I look at that and I say, will that apply more to the skilled trades now, now that you can individually monitor them and there is such a great demand and will continue to be such a great demand that at that point, workers will say, we don't need the union. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be changed. Uh, the, 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 the whole mindset of and, and the relationship between employer and employee is ever changing but as we get more advanced and those advancements happen on a quicker pace then you're going to see that change and we talked about it with with ai and everything else that you have to factor in here then there's going to be the those gaps where you don't have the right match for the number of people needed for these particular roles. They don't have that experience. And part of that will be because nobody has that experience yet, but that will bring on the demand to those companies to bring in people. As you mentioned the other day, we quite possibly will see companies looking to, to essentially have these either internships uh, or on-the-job training wrapped up, uh, ramped up to the nth degree, to, to the point where, all right, we'll hire you on, we'll train you, and that's going to be more important to a lot of companies than a degree that they get out of a mm-hmm. classroom at a university. 
And that's not going to happen overnight, and it will happen uh, in different areas at different times. But it's definitely, I believe, the potential is there for it to happen likely in the next decade. If you have work from home and that's growing, that is counter to the union movement because there is no camaraderie built when everybody's working from home. Mm -hmm. That's another thought that I've always had when they look at the union movement. Well, wait a minute. The camaraderie of being in a particular workplace together is what bonded people. And it bonds people. I know. I, Mm -hmm. you know, worked in, in, uh, you know, factories and, you know, that's what bonds you together is the yeah. fact that you work together, you deal with each other, you see each other, you you gripe about the same things. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a completely different mindset when you're not there. In fact, the only place where you see union growth is where product productivity and inefficiency and, and, and efficiency doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's the public sector. Right. Where it isn't you know, the productivity and efficiency in all corporations and with AI coming on, it's even going to be more. You're going to see a greater leap in productivity and efficiency that is demanded. Now, technology is, you know, how the average person can handle, uh, you know, more of what's going to be thrown at them because there probably will be fewer workers in particular uh I guess, careers, but then others will be created. What they are, I guess a lot of it's still to be seen. Mm -hmm. But where you see the only place you see the union movement growing is where you're not talking about what the original intent of a union was, and that was to share in profits. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to the, you know, the labor leaders of the, for example, George Meany, never, ever, thought that unions should be one of the greatest labor leaders, you could argue, of all time. Mm -hmm. Never wanted unions in the public sector. Right. Said government doesn't make a profit. We're only here to share the profit. And so when you see where the only place where unions are growing is where productivity and efficiency is not the number one thing Mm -hmm. that they're looking for, and therefore the unions are there to provide a quality of life for the, you know, the individual because of the, you know, company only wanting productivity and efficiency, and uh, you're simply, uh, you know, another, uh, you know, uh, you're simply another thing to get them there. Mm-hmm. Productivity and efficiency is not the number one goal in government work, and so that takes one of the most important criteria of union right out the window. And the second is there is nobody making a profit. And so it may grow, but where does it go? It's completely, it's completely counter to what, why unions were created in this country, the government unions that exist today. Well, especially when the private sector competes with the government in terms of employment, they offer greater pay. That's the number one thing people are looking at. I, I, I do wonder what the mindset will be, because I, I I believe it is changing already in that people put the greater emphasis on, okay, what's my earnings potential doing this kind of job? Right. You can talk about benefits all day, and the private sector has to compete in that way. But the benefits and seniority kind of thing that a union might offer 
But a lot of people will will tell you everything for me is about pay. And as long as the marketplace is competitive, job right. security isn't a great concern. Now, of course, uh, a recession will change that temporarily, but it is temporary. Well, well, part of the problems for unions is when you're not a union in a place where productivity and efficiency is number one, well, then you're not going to get it. And therefore, for example, let's look at trash removal that used to all be government. Mm-hmm. Is there Are there many towns left in the country where garbage removal, where there are garbage persons, that I always wanted to be the guy hanging on the back of the truck mm-hmm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, that... And, and when I grew up, they were all government. Yeah. Now they're what contractors. Happened, why? The efficiency and productivity wasn't there. And finally, the taxpayer demanded it. And boom. And I find, at least it's anecdotal, but in my town, since the contractor took over, the contractor works a little harder than than the city when the city was doing it. Well, not because... Only- they're bidding. They have to rebid right. on that contract well, over and over. Not only again. that, I remember when I was a talk show host in New York, in the town that I lived in, they, you know, they were only required to do a certain number of streets, and these people would start at eight a.m. and be done at eleven mm-hmm. for the whole day. Yeah, and no, that I was, mean, and that became to... that became a news story. Investigator, we can't have that now in that town. All the garbage collection has been subcontracted to private people. Yeah, we used to have so many holidays where there wasn't a uh, uh, trash pickup. Yep. And now it's pared down to the essential holidays, the you know the normal holidays, but not the other ones where the, the city had a lot more before the yeah. contractor took over. And if you call and complain, the city's sending that through, and then they're they're monitoring how many complaints they get about the contractor. Right. The contractor, they're going to hold their feet to the fire because they can take another bid. They can hire somebody else to do it. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Looking at this headline, uh, beer industry in shock that Bud Light backlash continues as experts warn of supply shortages of rival lagers. Mm. Now, is it a Pilsner lager or a lager Pilsner? I just, yeah. I just had to throw that out. Yeah, yeah. The entire beer industry is floored that Bud Light is still taking heat over its now uh, infamous promo with the transgender uh, influencer Dylan Mulvaney. And the backlash has put rival beers in high demand to the point where there may be a shortage of beer. If you messed it up so badly that your competition is having a shortage because they're not drinking your beer, I don't know how to measure that level of screw-up. This.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. <laughs> 